0: Oh, and welcome to another edition of the Random Thoughts Podcast. On today's episode, the focus will be on AI and how it is about to change everything in our world from music to news reporting, as well as making it harder and harder to know what is real and what is not. Do you think you can tell the difference? Hello and welcome to episode number 222 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. You can spell that R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and yes, the voice you heard in the intro there was created by an AI. We covered deep fakes a long time ago. This is just showing you how things have moved. In the interim, because I think it's moved into a few areas that a lot of people did not expect. But that voice was created by a project from 11 Labs that is called Prime Voice AI. And computerized voices have been around for a long, long time. If you go back into the 1980s for the movie War Games, you know what the typical. Voice sound is. It was a sound that they used a lot for Stephen Hawking. It's that very mechanical voice that just reads the words without any emotion, without knowing what kind of inflection it should have. So it always sounded very, very non authentic. It sounded very artificial. It sounded very fake. But what they are able to do now with AI is figure out where the pauses should be, where the inflection should be, where some emotion should come into the reading of the text. And this is something that is going to change a whole lot of things. I mean, one, podcasts, audio books, videos on YouTube that have narration It's going to be a lot easier to just be able to provide the text and not need the voice talent. Or if you like your own voice, you can then go in and train these services to use your voice. So you'll never know if it's a real person or just a synthetic person that is reading the content. And I think that's good and bad. I think there are a lot of things that could be put into audio format that otherwise wouldn't be. As somebody with bad eyes, I can appreciate the fact that having a web page, whatever content it may be, able to be read without having it sound like that old fashioned computerized voice, having it sound natural is a big deal. And this is going to open up a whole bunch of avenues. For good and for bad, because this is going to change things moving forward and the ability to take your manuscript that you wrote and create an audio book with a couple of clicks of a mouse. And it was interesting. I haven't done a really hard look into the product that 11 labs is using besides using it for the intro of the show, I'm going to go ahead and create an account and get a little bit more information on it because it's a very interesting, the overall results just on typing in that paragraph. And there's a bunch of different voices that you can hear and sample. Some sound a little bit better than others, but it seems very natural compared to what we were used to hearing. I'm sure some people can probably pick up on it. But one of the things that they offer it is a service for doing audiobooks. And if you're writing fiction that has dialogue, and while maybe you're not writing fiction, we're going to get to that in a second, you may have an AI helping you write fiction. It can do things like you can tell it what dialogue is from what character, and you can have a different voice read that dialogue. So you can not only now just create an audiobook with one voice, that's reading and sounding human, but you can create an audiobook that will take your dialogue and have each character have a different sound, a different personality. And as I said, it's going to open up a whole bunch of arenas for audio-created content, at least, and the video is getting there as well. If you didn't listen to that episode on Deep Fakes, I highly recommend you do, but the technology on the Deepfakes keeps getting better and better as well but the reason why this 11 labs project came in front of my eyes this morning was there are people already using it for bad things and there are reddits and other groups that are now filled with a bunch of audio of celebrity voices saying the most dirty and vile things because that's what people do when they have the ability to do so when they have the ability to play around to go hey wait I can make Donald Trump sound like he's saying anything. I can make Joe Biden sound like he's saying anything. Well, the fact if Joe Biden actually says anything and it doesn't sound like, well, then I would be surprised. But the ability to use this for both good and bad is obvious. I mean, some of this stuff is obvious, like, well, if you hear Barack Obama or Donald Trump saying something absolutely horrible and vile, you might want to consider that maybe it's not real and it was created by a synthetic artificial intelligence. But if you really think about it, the fraud potential here for person-to-person fraud, even small business fraud, and probably going into the Fortune 500, you know, you have somebody that runs a business, well, you get their voice then you call up the business and you're like, hey, this is the boss. I want you to send a check for this amount to this person. I mean, by the time they catch you, that check's cashed and gone or all sorts of different things. You can call up somebody and we have probably mentioned on this show. You can spoof caller ID information. So never believe the number and name you see coming up on your caller ID. That can all be faked. But you can do very easily now person to person fraud And it could sound like a legitimate conversation. If somebody can type fast enough, they get a copy of grandma's voice and they call you up and ask you to send money. Well, you can answer the question. As long as you're typing fast enough, it could sound legit. And you could have a conversation with somebody in the voice of somebody that they know. So be aware more than anything else, because I am. Intrigued by this, I think the technology is fantastic, but the problems that it causes, the questions that it raises, where you really cannot tell what is real and what is synthetic, moving forward, you have to know that this technology is not only out there, but it is progressing so fast that we really are getting to the point where You might not need the actor to keep redoing their lines because you'll have their voice. You could just change it. You want to change the line? No problem. You can change the voice and you can change the way they look. You can change the way their mouth moves and you never have to worry about having a real person actually do acting anymore because it's all going to be generated by an AI. You can just write a script. What do you need people to get into a studio? The video can all be created via AI as well. So it's going to change the entertainment industry massively. Google has a brand new project that goes right along those lines, and it's called Music LM, which this really shouldn't be that much of a surprise for anybody following artificial intelligence. But the abstract on the paper on this says, We introduce Music LM, a model generating high fidelity music from text descriptions such as, quote, a calming violin melody backed by a distorted guitar riff, end quote. Oh, let's see, they have the period after the end quote. That's wrong, Google. Maybe they should have an AI that knows how to do punctuation, but I digress. It says, Music LM cast the process of conditional music generation on a hierarchical. Hi, hi, hierarchical. See, Bander would want me to edit that, but then I don't sound like an idiot. So hierarchical sequence-to-sequence modeling task is it generates music at 24 kilohertz that remains consistent over several minutes. Our experiments show that Music LM outperforms previous systems, both in audio quality and adherence to the text description. Moreover, we demonstrate that Music LM can be conducted on both text and a melody, and that it can transform whistled and hummed melodies according to the style described in a text caption. So, this is some very interesting stuff. And you can find this if you do a Google search for this project, Music LM. And you can get the audio clips. I didn't want to include all of them, but it's very interesting because the quality of audio based on the vibe. That it's describing. And again, this may not change pop music. I don't know if Taylor Swift is going to use this to write melodies. Maybe she could. But again, if you're doing something like I got a YouTube video and I'm doing a review on something or I'm explaining artificial intelligence, I may want to be like, give me, you know, a very subdued music bed with a little bit of, you know, 8 bit arcade sounding. Do, and then give me an, convert that towards the end into something completely high def with a big soaring, you know, guitar solo. And it just magically happens. The quality of the music here is impressive being that it is being generated by an artificial intelligence with no real instrumentation. It just knows what it knows from being fed a bunch of music and it can be very simple prompts that it can be given on this page they show there's one that just says melodic techno and then a five-minute clip there's one that just says swing music and then there's a five-minute clip and then relaxing jazz and it gives you the clips but it also shows interesting things with a story mode which you can give it again if you're doing a youtube video something like oh jazz for the first 15 seconds, then give me a pop song for the second 15 seconds, then a rock song, then a death metal song, and then give me whatever. And it will try to adhere to all of this to give you exactly what you need. So doing background music for things is going to become a lot easier. Instead of going out, and I've done this for years, when you need background music, you go out and you search and you try to find the right track and then you try to make it fit the time that you need it for, and then you have to segue maybe into something else, and you have to do editing, and everybody hates doing editing. In this case, you just explain to the AI what kind of music you want, what kind of vibe you're looking for, what kind of genre you want it to be in, or what kind of instrumentation you want it to sound like. And you could even do things like, well, I want this to sound like a beginner. Piano player, or I want this to sound like a Juilliard trained piano player. Whatever fits the vibe of whatever you're trying to do. Oh, and you could even get accordion death metal. I haven't listened to this, but I'm sure that would be absolutely fantastic. But this is where we're going when it comes with music. So musicians should be worried. I mean, we already know that voice actors should be worried. Musicians should definitely be worried. Anybody that normally does the cheesy music for like B movies and all that kind of stuff. Probably not going to be needed for long because you're going to be able to just sign up for one of these services. And while I'm not promoting it, the voice generated service that we used for the opening 11 labs voice AI for like 20 bucks a month you can do two hours of audio, which is pretty impressive for the price, I think. Again, not a long-term user. Don't know if I'd run into something of trying to do a large project, but we know that these things are increasingly getting better when it comes to the voice mimicking that it can do. We know it's interesting now that it can create music. And there was also an a i program well service I'm sure it's a program, but it's a service called PseudoWrite, which is basically a company that has created an interface that uses the chat g p t model, which most people have heard of. everybody at Google has because they're afraid of it, and we'll get to that in a minute, but PseudoWrite is Harnessing the power of Chat GPT in order to help writers brainstorm. And this again seemed like something to me that was not going to work. I'm one of these guys that's like, I'm going to be able to tell. It's not, there's the writing can't be good. You're going to notice it. It's going to, to- seem totally laughable how bad it is. But the Chat GPT stuff is fairly impressive. I don't know if this is true or not, but I saw an article that claimed it was 100% on predicting who was going to wind up so far coming towards the Super Bowl and what teams were going to win and which teams were going to advance. So this is also probably going to change how uh, betting works. It's going to be interesting if these AIs can actually get to the point to where they are that smart where they can take the data. And are like, oh, yeah, yeah. In today's uh, baseball game, here's what's going to happen. In today's NASCAR race, here's what's going to happen. And if they're right, even uh, 50, 60% of the time, could probably make a whole lot of money in the betting venue. But this pseudo right program, again, not something that I've paid for, that I have spent the bare minimum, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes playing around with it. I was very impressed because it can do a few things extremely well where you can go in and you can brainstorm. And it's like, Oh, if you don't like writing dialogue, you can give it a prompt like, Oh, what a rookie baseball player might say before his first at bat, you know, and you'd have a whole bunch of dialogue that all of a sudden comes up and you can say whether it's good or not. And based on whether you said it was good or not, it continues to refine the dialogue. I took some paragraphs of fiction and cut and paste them into the main interface, which is what this is for. Mainly, this is the service they've got. They're billing it as something to help writers that have writer's block, which means you're sitting there and you're, sitting at, you're staring at your blank screen. And you're like, where do I go from here? And in this case, you have a button that just says, "write." you take it to the end of your manuscript, wherever you have in the text box and just ask it to continue writing and it will read, it will look at, it will take all of the data you've provided, do its best to understand the story or whatever you've provided it for up to that point. And then it will give you a few different options on how it would suggest you move on with the story, including doing text from characters, including maybe creating a new character. And I was expecting it to be really bad. And I was expecting it to be laughable where I'd be like, well, I could tell this is horrible. And some of the stuff, yeah, it wasn't great. But some of the stuff that it kicked out Absolutely fantastic. You know, maybe not a hundred percent perfect, but enough to where if a writer had writer's block, you can do a little bit of editing and maybe it gives you another idea on where to move the plot point and where you can go with the story. So I thought that was somewhat impressive. I mean, it takes a little bit of the creativity out of it, sure, I think, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe it actually just helps to stimulate other ideas that you wouldn't have had. And as long as you use it sparingly, maybe a writer can help you continue writing faster, which would be a good thing if you're being paid for your writing, especially now that AIs are going to start writing. But one of the more impressive things that this pseudo-write was able to do was you can go in and ask it to expand upon something. So if you just said, well, Mary walked in and, you know, she was a tall blonde and then she sat down. Well, you can click on Mary and say, describe and expand. And all of a sudden it was giving you sentences about her appearance about, and it was basically hitting all of the five senses. So it's like, well, if you want something on sight, well, you've got this smell. If you want taste or touch, you were able to get. An expanded description of whatever you had highlighted. And again, I was expecting it not to work very well. And the most impressive thing was that it was able to spit out the extra text, whether it was dialogue, whether it was descriptive text, it was able to do so in a very similar way. That the rest of the story was written in. So it wasn't like, hey, we've got a Stephen King novel here, and I asked you for some extra text, and all of a sudden it's Shakespeare. It's able to mimic, which doesn't surprise me, I guess, because it can mimic voices, it can mimic all sorts of different things. These artificial intelligence engines are able to pick up on the structure and the types of words that the author uses, and then not only spit out new ideas, but to spit them out in a way that they sound like they came from the author's own pen or keyboard or whatever you're using. Does anybody still use a pen to write? I think James Patterson is a guy that still uses the old-fashioned way, which would make it so much harder to edit, but that's why he has people to be able to do the editing for him. But there were other things with the pseudo-write where I was impressed with character development where you can go, especially if you are just sitting down and you want to get ideas, you can ask it to help you create an outline. You know, you can ask it to create a 15 point plan for let's uh, figure out what each chapter is going to be about. Describe the character, describe the setting, and it will come up with all sorts of different ideas for you to whether you want to use them or not. And this is another service that's costing about 20 bucks a month, it seems. For, I think it was 90,000 words, which 90,000 words is a decent amount. That's about a romance novel, if I'm not mistaken. That's like a full romance novel. It'll spit that kind of text out for you each and every month for the 20 bucks. And you can use that to create your writing and to be able to increase the amount of words that you can write. So if you've got authors, they're going to be using AI to come up with new ideas. There was even a thing built in, which I haven't been able to try as we but this is again, maybe it's worth it for anybody that is an author. If you try this, let me know how this one feature works. Cause there was a feature where you could have AI based, you know, not real people, but the AI using different personalities. So it's like, okay, the AI is like okay, I'm a 12-year-old girl, and, oh, I'm an 18-year-old boy, and hey, I'm a 36-year-old man. And this is what I think of your story. It gives you feedback based upon different personalities and different age brackets, which I thought was absolutely fantastic if the feedback that you get is actually helpful. And that I don't know, but that is something I'm really curious about to know how the ai critiquing your work would either be helpful or not helpful at all or if you'd be like wow i didn't think of that this is where all of this stuff is going is it's trying to figure out these things that humans have been doing for years and being called creative you know where does it come from when somebody writes a song or when somebody writes a book you hear a lot of songwriters say things like hey i don't know the song wrote itself i was just the conduit Well, these computerized systems are now analyzing everything that humans have ever done. It knows what things have been hit songs. It knows what things have been hit books, bestsellers, and it's looking for patterns. And I guarantee you there are patterns that can help determine whether or not something is really popular with people or whether something is kind of ignored because everybody thinks it's boring. But this is a very interesting time when it comes to all creative works, except for the fact that computers are going to replace us all, and then none of us are going to be needed. So I guess you can take what you will from that, whether it comes down to the AI, prime voice AI that can do voices really, really well. Music LM that can create music out of just a few words. Pseudo-write that can create those words. So the reality now is you've got something like pseudo-write that can write parts of your story for you. And then you could have Music LM create the background while another of the voice AIs read the story dramatically with all of the emotion And a real person isn't needed for anything. It's going to be interesting to see where this is all going. The guy that created Gmail is predicting at this point that AI is going to completely disrupt the Google chat. I'm sorry, not the Google chat, the Google search within one to two years. He says Google may be only a year or two away from total disruption. This is Paul Buckheit, B-U-C-H-H-E-I-T. AI will eliminate the search engine result page, which is where they make most of their money. Even if they catch up on AI, they can't fully deploy it without destroying the most valuable part of their business. Yes, because Google is making a lot of money on selling ads on the search engine result page and a lot of times you know it you search for something on google quite often you might have to go a couple of pages in to find exactly what you're looking for in each one of those pages you know if you're not using an ad blocker and most people probably are if you're listening to me if you don't have a pie hole set up that's a great thing to have on your network as well but that is where the ads come in that's where google is making a lot of their money so if that search engine box is now something where you can go and just type in a question and it gives you an answer. Well, then where are all the ads going to be? How's Google going to make their money? And that's the intriguing thing when technology moves on. As it was pointed out by the same guy, he said, one thing that few people remember is the pre-internet business that Google killed, the Yellow Pages. He's right. Most people don't remember the Yellow Pages Or the white pages, then you had to go and look. If you needed to find a business phone number or address, there was a book. (laughs) And you had to go to the book and look. Now you just go to the internet and you go, hey, uh, I'm looking for a barber, which I am. And it gives you a whole list of everything in your area. He said the Yellow Pages used to be a great business. Then Google got so good that everybody stopped using the Yellow Pages. AI will do the same thing. To web search as he sees it. And I don't doubt that for a minute. Those who are old enough to remember the early internet days know there was a time before Google, believe it or not. Yahoo once reigned supreme. And Yahoo, not only did Yahoo reign supreme at the really early part of the internet, if you wanted your web page to be indexed by Yahoo, You had to submit it, and a real live person looked and decided whether or not it should be added to the index and where, because at the time, Yahoo was still trying to do things via category, so if you were a sports website, you'd be in the sports category, and if they didn't think you fit the category, they would put you somewhere else, or they just wouldn't list you at all. Yeah, now we don't have any of that. Now we do have a lot of AIs already trying to figure out what you're looking for and try to give you the information that you want to get. But I think most people realize that with attention spans going to almost zero, people don't want a list of a thousand different websites for a search. Most people just want an answer. And if they can get that, then it's going to change the ad capabilities of being able to keep putting more and more ads in front of somebody. It's going to change that. So even if Google can catch up and figure out how to compete with ChatGPT GPT or whoever's coming up with the next great thing in order to get search results, they're already got a problem. They've already got a problem in figuring out how to monetize that. Another story from CNBC today. Google is asking employees to test a potential chat GPT competitor, including a chat bot called Apprentice Bard. And basically, this is a reaction to exactly that story we just talked about. They're trying to figure out how they're going to move forward. The article from CNBC says the product tests come after a recent all-hands meeting. Where employees raise concerns about the company's competitive edge in AI, given the sudden popularity of ChatGPT, which was launched by OpenAI, a San Francisco based startup that is backed by Microsoft. They talk about how Google was taking this in a little bit of a different route because they actually thought they should be, you know, accurate when it comes to the results that they give. And they're worried the fact that, these artificial intelligence engines that are being used don't necessarily know what is accurate and what is not. They're just scraping information, using that information. And Google, very afraid they don't want to be jumping into the AI zone and then people are like, well, hey, wait, your AI lies. Your AI sucks. Your AI is not giving us good results because there's nothing worse for people whether they're going to take on a product or not. If the product just doesn't work, if it doesn't give good results, if it's not accurate, but I think Google's absolutely right. It's much harder for them to play in this sandbox because people expect more from them where startups that are just throwing stuff out there, people understand, yeah, maybe this isn't 100% accurate. Maybe this isn't exactly perfect information, but it's really cool. And it is. So it's going to be interesting to see where Google goes with this. And speaking of imperfect information, this article from the Daily Caller, the one that's not about AI today, major news outlets say they're ditching objectivity in the name of diversity. We knew this was coming. We warned you about this. This is why you need to go to multiple news sources and you have to understand the bias in each and every one Just like these computers, AIs, they're going to have a bias based upon the information given. We hope that human beings can do better, but not so much because bias is now good and objectivity is bad. The Daily Caller article, quote, leaders of prominent news organizations are eschewing journalistic objectivity, claiming it is antithetical to a diversity of views in their newsrooms according to a series of interviews that were conducted by two journalism scholars. They went out, interviewed 75 media leaders to gauge how the news industry is viewing the concept of objectivity. The editor-in-chief at the San Francisco Chronicle said, quote, objectivity has got to go. Yes, Emilio Garcia Ruiz, editor-in-chief, at the San Francisco Chronicle said, objectivity has got to go. Increasingly, reporters, editors, and media critics argue that the concept of journalistic objectivity is a distortion of reality. They point out that the standard was dictated over decades by male editors and predominantly white newsrooms and reinforce their own views of the world. So says the former executive editor for the Washington Post, Leonard Downey Jr., He is one of the guys that did the study. He says that they believe that pursuing objectivity can lead to false balancing or misleading both side in covering stories about race, the treatment of women, LGBTQ rights, income inequality, climate change, and many other subjects. And in today's diversifying newsrooms, they feel it negates many of their own identities life experiences, and cultural context, keeping them from pursuing truth in their work. But no, exactly what they're doing is the opposite. They're not pursuing truth. They are showing their bias. Instead of getting to the heart of the matter, instead of getting to what is actually true, they bring their own emotional baggage to their job. They do not report accurately these are the kind of people, the objectivity is important because you need to get both sides of the story, which is, you know, Donald Trump did really good when it came to the economy. I mean, there was things he did poorly, but when you have such a bias that you hate somebody, you never bring any of the positivity. You never bring, well, you know, even though Donald Trump did save the economy. No, they don't do that. It's all negative all the time. And ignoring objectivity, when you say you don't need that, it's like, well, that is trying to remove oneself from the story to remove emotion from the story and give you accurate information. The fact that the news media at this point is clearly going out and saying, well, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We feel we have to bring all of this in. This is no longer news. This is pretty much fiction. This is just somebody's overall viewpoint, and it doesn't mean it's reality. When you have major news organizations telling you that objectivity is no longer needed, those are the news organizations that you don't want to pay attention to, you don't want to listen to, and you never want to believe anything that they say because a true journalist separates themselves from the story in order to try to get to the truth. We all have a bias. And if you are going to lean into that bias, then you have a problem because your stories are now not accurate. This whole thing of like, well, no, we can't have objectivity because we might have to say that those people that we don't like, that they did something good. It is absolutely asinine that this is where we are As a world, but this is why, again, just like with the AI, you cannot believe what you hear, you cannot believe what you see, and you certainly cannot believe what you read. So I hope there, if there's one thing I can do here at the Random Thoughts podcast, that is to keep you ahead of the game, to let you know what is going on, and to do my best, even though I know I bring emotion and bias, I also do my best to bring. Accurate information and to bring the truth because I understand that it is important when you are reporting on a news story to be objective, to look at both sides, to separate the facts from the emotion. But I can also rant and rave about things that I'm passionate about, and I think that works well together. I hope that it does. This is a value for value podcast, though, so you get to decide. If you've gotten any value out of this show whatsoever, it's up to you to get some value back to us. You can do it in a variety of ways. One of those is monetarily, and you can do that by going to randomthoughts.com slash donate by clicking that donate button for a one-time or monthly donation via PayPal. You can use the QR codes or wallet addresses to do the crypto thing. You can use the P.O. box address if you want to go the snail mail route. You can go over to patreon.com slash random thoughts, R A N D U M B thoughts, if you're on Patreon. And if you're using a podcasting 2.0 app, you can send us a boost or a -a boostagram. We might even read it right here on the show by going to newpodcastapps.com and getting yourself set up there. Today, two people to thank, and they are longtime donors, longtime supporters, longtime producers of this podcast. And I appreciate both of them. Chew the kookie coming in via snail mail with $15 and via PayPal our buddy Sir Truck Driver out there on the roads trying to drive along with all the rest of you crazy people coming in with 565 I appreciate both of you guys thank you for supporting the show thank you for listening I mean everybody it is an honor if you're listening to the show giving me your time I know there's a lot of things you can be doing with your time and it's an honor that you will take this time to listen to the show hear my ramblings Hopefully, I bring something interesting to the table. And no matter what, if you want to reach out, you can do so via email, Darren, D A R R E N, at randomthoughts.com or on Twitter, Darren O'Neill, and on No Agenda Social, Darren O'Neill. I know you're out there on one of those. You can reach me. And with all of that said, I'm sure it'll be another fun and exciting week. I hope you have a great one. I will be back with you next week for another edition of the Random Thoughts podcast. But until then, I am Darren O'Neill.